Thanks for joining us on the show today. We've got a very special guest today, Ian Miller, the chart guy himself. Now, if you haven't heard of Ian, you've been missing out. COVID hit and he started making these charts that showed the different narrative than what the government was putting out in the corporate media. But I'm going to let him tell you more about that in just a minute. Ian, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Well, thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So uh, a couple a couple years ago, I don't think anyone had heard of Ian Miller on the internet. Of course, your friends and family, but weren't a big name around. But then COVID hit. Tell us what happened. What took you from just being Ian Miller to being Ian Miller, the chart guy? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think... To be honest, it could have happened to anybody. I just kind of became the person that wanted to do it. Um, you know, my background is not in science or medicine. Um, I had worked mostly in the entertainment business, actually, but did a lot of data work for my day job. Um, that was a lot of the focus within the, within the business. So I kind of came at it with an interest in the data side of, of COVID and where it was all going. And, um, you know, I noticed I live in Southern California. I've been here, we've been here throughout the pandemic. And so uh, obviously restrictions were very severe and strict right away pretty very early on um and i was doing these you know looking for the data myself i found you know there's limitless amounts of it on the internet and um it became pretty obvious to me pretty quickly that all the stuff that we were doing in los angeles wasn't making a big difference compared to areas that didn't have mask mandates and you know weren't as strict with lockdowns and business closures and things like that uh, and that really kind of spiraled in summer of 2020 i would say when um you know, I I was kind of looking for information like this. You know, I'm a very I like the visual uh, aspect of it, and I wanted to see. We've done all these closures, we've done capacity limits, we have these different tiers, we're doing all these these jumping through all these hoops. We have mask mandates everywhere, outside as well. Uh, is it making a difference? And you know, it, people, a lot of people on the internet were doing great work and continue to do great work creating charts and things like this, but. I realized, you know, I can do this myself as well and and just took the data from Johns Hopkins or the CDC or the COVID tracking project or whatever it was at the time and just put it in Excel and and looked up when do we do the mask mandates and and present the data. And, um, you know, very quickly, I realized there was a lot of people looking for this information as well, and they were looking for it for their areas, not just obviously Southern California. Um, and there was a big audience of people that wanted to see what is the impact of all this stuff is all the sacrifices that I'm making or my kids are making, are they worth it? So, uh, yeah, it just kind of became kind of happened organically, I would say, and through kind of fortuitous circumstances where a lot of people that were on the, uh, and, you know, not anti-government narrative, but were questioning the government narratives and, and all this, uh, found me that had big accounts and kind of retweeted it and promoted it. And that helped spiral out from there. Mm -hmm. I remember, I think you were on the Tom Woods show, right? Yes, yeah. a couple of times. Yeah, Tom's great. Yeah, and he was, I know he used a lot of uh, your charts to build his COVID charts quiz, uh, where you could uh, guess you know, what you think the effect would be. And then the chart usually showed a very different story. Uh, exactly. My favorites of the charts uh, that you put out are the ones where like some politician or media figure or says that you know this country took these steps and they beat covid and then after that their numbers spike up and they didn't change anything like, really <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, those are some of my favorites to put together as well, because I think it really go, it kind of cuts through cuts to the heart of the issue that we've all been dealing with here, which is that the people in charge don't really have a great idea of what they're doing. Uh, a lot of them are making it up as they go. And they've been so and, and that's one thing. You know, obviously, this is kind of an unprecedented situation for our lifetimes in, in a lot of ways. But, um, you know, it's reasonable to expect people to get things wrong. What isn't reasonable is to pretend and create this this narrative that nobody can question what you're saying that your mandates and your restrictions are you know based off of hundreds of years of evidence and this is the only way to do it and we have all this high quality research showing this and that it will work and and they've kind of approached everything with that attitude even though the opposite's been true this is an entirely untested thing that we've been doing here with no evidence base to support it um and so i think that's that's one of the big problems is that they've kind of come in with this unearned confidence that everything they've said is going to be proven right because they're the ones saying it. And then, you know, to show the data and to show the charts and say, well, you made these predictions. If you were so right this whole time, get the prediction right at least once, right. You know, tell me that this place beat COVID and then have them beat, actually beat COVID forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it never works out like that, obviously. And, and all these areas that have been previously praised as, as you know, they defeated it in the New York times or vanity fair. If we could only do this, just like this country, we could beat COVID. Um, it's um, exclusively 100% of the time has been proven wrong down the road, given enough time. And and that's, I think, one of the key messages to take away from, from this last two years of restrictions is that the people in charge, not only do they not know what they're doing, they're not willing to admit when they're wrong, because they never go back and follow up and say, here's what, here's the mistakes that we made, here's what we can correct going forward. Mm-hmm. And that's a dangerous combination, because that just causes the same mistakes to be repeated over and over. Yeah, exactly. And we're seeing that now where, you know, the FDA, when they kind of just recently, a couple of days ago announced, oh, we're going to be doing a new uh, variant specific booster dose. Uh, and the, one of the, the chief people that was involved in this came out and said, oh, well, we think it was going to prevent a significant surge of, of uh, COVID numbers this fall and winter. And you're like, you didn't learn from last fall and winter <laughs> when you did, you did the same thing with the other vaccines that, you know, this was going to be the, the key to end the pandemic. And then, you know, if you just got everybody vaccinated, it would end the pandemic forever. No one would get infected. Mm. All these these comments from Fauci and Walensky saying, you know, if you if you're vaccinated, you will not get infected. You will not spread the disease. It's it's proven 100 percent effectiveness. You haven't learned at all. And but the answer is no, they haven't learned at all. They, there's no humility and there's no willingness to accept any kind of uh, or acknowledge any kind of mistakes at all do you do you think that's more of a hubris issue on their part like they see like they see the information but they discount it or or is it an insulation thing like they don't even see anything that counters their theories I think it is hubris. I think they do see a lot of stuff because we've seen, you know, in the release public release of, of emails from Fauci and other other uh, you know, public health authorities and experts, they're sent a lot of these articles that, that people have posted. And obviously, we've just seen the there was this the, the big news about the censorship with uh, the White House collaborating with tech companies to try to censor important voices that were contradicting their you know their prescriptions, like Alex Berenson famously. So I think they do see it. They just it is so. I think it is hubris that they see the information. They just dismiss it because it doesn't come from them. And, and I don't think that that's how the scientific process is supposed to work. I'm, you know, I'm not a scientist, but my understanding of it is that you're supposed to take information, contradictory information, and fight it in the court of public opinion and say, here's why you're wrong with high, other high quality information. And if you can't do that, if, you're, if your first instinct is to censor those who are putting out 
contradictory information. I don't think that I think that shows that you don't really <clears throat> excuse me don't really have a very good argument. Mm-hmm. And I think that's uh, it, it goes to show you that it is a lot of this is hubris that they really don't believe any information that doesn't come from them has any validity to it, um, which would be more defensible if they could point to a track record of of being right, but they're not. They haven't been right about essentially anything. So not only is it to me not defensible to censor other people, but it's not defensible when the people that you're censoring have been right significantly more often than you have. And you can't give us a track record of, of success and correct predictions and, you know, showing that all everything that you did worked. So yeah, it's, it's hubris and ego and any other adjectives you want to throw on them there. It's, and it's all very deserved. Mm -hmm. I've, I've seen that too. I worked in healthcare during a, before and during the pandemic and i started similar to you i started realizing things aren't matching up uh, with what they're telling us you know like they put together this huge covid ward because we're gonna get flooded with covid patients and it was never used things like that and i started looking through the research and i found that it uh, at the time it was actually about split things that said that masks work and things that said they don't work and you know i tried taking it to the leadership of the hospital. I said, you know, this, why are we doing all of this? We're making people suffer for, for nothing. And they, they told me, you, don't you dare share this with any patients. This is disinformation. Like, but these, these are the studies, this is published research. And so that was, that was the beginning of the end for me. When I saw that these people who are supposed to be trusting with our health are deliberately rejecting things that don't go with their political or ideological narrative. Clearly, they don't have our best interests at heart. Yeah, exactly. I think it, it it's opened a lot of eyes uh, the last couple of years, and a lot of people are now kind of permanently never going to trust expertise ever again in, in many years, not just even health, but especially in health and, and public health. And um, because it's become abundantly clear how much more important a political agenda is to them than you know telling the truth and and uh, assessing information and making determinations based off of evidence as opposed to just kind of government enforced mandates and i think a lot of it is fear too that there's there's intense societal pressure especially in the last couple of years to follow along with whatever the leaders and the experts say to do uh you know i think that that's it's always been the case there's a lot of kind of psychological research been done that if you put people in a room and uh, you know, 12 people or whatever, and 11 give a wrong answer. And, you know, the question is what's two plus two. And they all say seven that the person in the room sitting there who knows it's four may not be willing to say that the answer is four, even though that's, they know it's true because there's just such that's humans are very group oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, and that phenomenon has kind of never been more unleashed than it is, has been during COVID, especially I think too, because you know, we've, we've never had the internet before where communication across the country, across the world is instant among people with, you know, huge platforms. And so there's this incredible influence that's created by uh, creating kind of a consensus opinion. And to a lot of people that are, they're just not willing to question a consensus. They they don't feel comfortable or or willing to question it. And when they're presented with information that contradicts the consensus, it's too uh, scary for them to kind of interact with it, that are engaged with it. They just dismiss it offhand because it's not, uh, you know, they don't want to be going out on a limb, taking a risk. And I think 
it, it's really uh, that was one of the I wrote you know this this book unmasked and the first chapter was kind of going into what pre-COVID evidence had said like what you're bringing up all these studies that said masks really don't work they're not very effective against against respiratory viruses um, and I think it goes to show you how groupthink has really pervade has been very pervasive because these experts took all those studies took all the pandemic planning and basically threw it out the window uh, when COVID hit so yeah, it's this combination of panic and and incompetence and also just a, a lack of uh, courage to stand up and say, well, hey, wait a second, where, what are we doing? Where's the evidence to suggest that this would be true? I, I, you know, I go in for hours about what motivated that, but I think a lot of, it does explain a lot of what's happened. Mm -hmm. It's, it's really a shame too, because science reason in general is supposed to reject the argument from authority. It, it's so because we say it's so we're the experts, uh, but, uh, that seems like all they've been relying on and uh, using or misusing science to support uh, those logical fallacies. Because science, like like you mentioned, is supposed to be a process of discovery. It's supposed to be about questioning the authority to find out the truth. But yeah. yeah. I was going to say, it's just it, most of the scientific discoveries that have happened throughout human history have been because somebody went up, you know, did on their own, went on their own and tried to disprove the authority figures. Mm -hmm. And and most, you know, oftentimes that they're, they're uh, demonized for doing that because they contradicted what the authorities at the time said. I mean, Galileo is probably the most famous example, but there's a lot of examples throughout history of where you have to, uh, consensus is, cannot be unquestionable it has to be it's ever-changing especially in science because it, like you said it's a process it has to be a process and uh it, that process was completely stunted during this during the pandemic and i think we we all kind of forget how intense it was early on with not being able to question mandates you know now it's much more accepted oh school closures were a huge disaster oh mask mandates didn't work very well but they're still necessary you know, that's the media the stories now <laughs> but early on it was you do not question this. You want to, you're killing people, you're killing grandma. I mean, there's countless examples of these just horrific things being said about people who refuse to wear a mask or refuse to get vaccinated because they're going to kill society or they don't deserve treatment. They don't deserve medical care. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, it, it's, it's very disheartening to see how quickly humanity kind of turned on itself to, to say, this is the only way to do things. And if you don't do this, you you are the bad guy you know you're the other you're the you're a nazi that's kind of the the messaging that we heard from a lot of these people so mm -hmm. yeah it's not a, not a lot of great things to say about how the uh, the experts in the science the science and people and again anthony fauci described himself as representing science i mean that that tells you what we're dealing with here is people yeah. are not not really to be taken seriously yeah that was that was pretty egregious yeah. uh, the one it, it seemed to me too that Instead of using science or logic, people would point to uh, anecdotes and say, look, this proves the case. Uh, Asia is a great one. You know, they know that people from Asia wear masks, it's like a cultural thing. Um, when they, I think when they're even just feeling kind of sick, the mask goes on. And so people said, well, they're doing it over there. So we should do it here. Not even thinking about are they really preventing anything it's just something that they do i'm gonna try sharing my screen here a recent one that you that you did about daily new cases of mass compliance versus mass compliance in japan 
Yeah, June 20th, June 20. June 20, it's a lot of twos. June 22, okay. 2020. <laughs> Forbes said yep. it's the high rate of mask wearing. That's why they've done it, but mask compliance has stayed high. And yet, what is that, 200,000% increase in COVID cases? Yeah. I, know, I, should, yeah. I should do the actual math on that because the, the number would be astronomical. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I think this is a great example. It's a good visual of what uh, you know what I've been trying to do, and what many others have been trying to do is, which is to point out that if these measures were what was causing numbers to be low at a given moment, it should maintain that effectiveness the entire time, and it doesn't because, as you can see, the mass compliance never moves, mm -hmm. and cases go up and down regardless. And and that's uh, you know. It, there's just no way to disprove these arguments. There's no way to, to to come back from this and say masks are the reason why Japan had low cases early on. It's it's not possible to defend it in my mind. And and yet, you know, if you show this to an expert or authority figure, they just can't they can't engage with it. They won't see it because they're just so convinced that masks work because people that they trust or that share their ideology told them <clears throat> that masks work. Yeah, um, but I think again, it, it's I think uh, Asia is specifically was part of the reason why countries like the United States moved into recommending mask mandates in the first place because I think early on, uh, CDC and other public health agencies saw that Japan and South Korea had low case rates and they said, oh, it's the it's mask wearing. They have a culture of mask wearing. They're all doing it. That's why it's, their numbers are low. And they kind of thought of it as a, you know, a low cost intervention that something that wasn't closing businesses that could get people to feel like they were protected. And, um, and you know, maybe it will reduce some transmission because look at South Korea and Japan. Um, and, and it's just absurd to, to make those claims and continue and not update them later on when you see what's happened since. And, you know, there's no correction from Forbes. It's, you know, nobody's going to come back and say, well, actually, the high rate of mask wearing in Japan couldn't have been responsible for preventing the spread of COVID because they're still wearing masks at an extraordinarily high rate. And now they're seeing record high COVID cases and have the highest case rate in the world. You know, there's no, there's no willingness to go back and update the story after it's been proven false later on. Um, and, I, you know, I, I think that's one of the disheartening things, too, is that the... I have severe concerns that we're going to do this all over again. You know, we're going to continue to do this in certain parts of the country, in certain parts of the world, maybe forever, in large part because experts are not willing to go back and look at the evidence again and say we were wrong. Or they come up with these ridiculous excuses like, oh, we don't know how much worse it would have been without masks. Um, and, you know, get into that for another 10 hours as well. But it's <laughs> it's really uh, frustrating when you when you see how it's like, it's just so obvious. How does any, how does everybody not see this? But I do think a lot of normal people would see a chart like that if they had access to it and say, you know, that, that might change my, my preconceived notions a little bit. I didn't expect to see that. I would, I thought Japan had still beaten COVID because they're all wearing masks still. Mm -hmm. um, but they're never going to be presented with it because, you know, mainstream media sources don't have any interest in covering stories like that. They don't have any interest in showing these, these charts. Um, because it, you know, you could go back and point out all the times that they made these ridiculous, preposterous claims. Um, okay. So there's not a lot of incentive for them to do it. But I do, I, I think it's very persuasive, you know, if making these arguments when you show data like that, it just hasn't mattered. Mm -hmm. And I think people seeing it is the key, even if it doesn't change their minds, it can plant that seed of doubt. And maybe, maybe they're not telling me the truth. Maybe there's more to the story.
that's why I think the work of you and other people, freelancers, if I may say so, is so important. So thank you for your contributions. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Oh, I appreciate it. But it, it is, uh, you know, I, I do think that it's not me, but the the combined forces of people out there that have been speaking up and and getting the attention. And a, a lot of it credit goes to, to credentialed experts who have been willing to speak out as well, because, mm. you know, I, it's hard as a, as a normal person in an environment where I lived in Los Angeles, there's a lot of pressure to conform to, you know, the dominant ideology of Los Angeles, especially corporations I used to work for. But um, it's much more severe when you're an expert, credentialed expert from, say, Stanford University, like Dr. Jay Bhattacharya or Dr. Scott Atlas, who uh, kind of had to put their reputations on the line to go out there publicly and say, you know, look, we're credentialed people in these fields, and this is not right. This is not working. This is not accurate. We have to do something else. You know, Martin Koldorf and Andrew Gupta, the kind of Great Barrington Declaration group, um, mm -hmm. who publicly kind of put a line in the sand and said, you know, we're going to stand up for what we think is right. And they don't, these are people, some of them are not right wing. They're not Republicans. A lot of them have no interest in U.S. politics, but they are, they were willing to kind of speak up for what was factual, what was true, not just what was convenient for them. And that requires a lot of courage and, and uh, you know, I think lent a lot of credibility to people like me who were, you know, unknowns, freelance, whatever you want to call it, uh, that were doing, putting out this information to say, you know, look, this is evidentiary based. These people that have these credentials are agreeing with us and it's helped move the conversation forward to a point where we're now able to say, School closures were a disaster. Mask mandates didn't work. You know, the vaccine mandates didn't work. Vaccine passports didn't work. Um, and I think that public pressure helped put an end to a lot of these policies. And you know, we saw it in kind of February in like a week, all of these states that were run by Democratic governors lifted their mandates kind of seemingly all at once after this. It's, it was literally like a memo yeah, went out. Kind people of don't support it anymore. <laughs> yeah. So I think that it had it all kind of spiraled and created that. So we have to continue to do it because if there's a chance that any of it comes back, there has to be this public outcry saying we're not going to take it anymore. So that's, that's another thing I wanted to ask you about, because I think you're right. It seems like when the next wave or the next, who knows what kind of virus or bacteria, weird contagion comes along, they're going to try slapping on the same things because they've already got uh, policies written. They can just change the title of it and wham, all of the, restrictions all of the closures the lockdowns they're right back in place but a lot of people already know that that's wrong what can ordinary people do though to try to counter that well i think the most important thing is getting involved in local politics i think that's something i personally learned and i think a lot of people have learned throughout the pandemic and also with you know the fight over kind of educational uh, stuff that we've been seeing across the country in virginia famously even last election um is that local politics matter a lot more than you think they do. And, you know, a lot of people had no idea who their local city council member is or their local county supervisor or the mayor or, whoever. you know, they don't even turn out in local elections like 20, 30%. People don't care and they don't know, but that's going to really impact how your experience goes with, th with restrictions going forward. I mean, you can, there's, there's a, you look at Kentucky, Kentucky's a, you know, a red state for in almost every sense of the word, obviously there's a democratic governor, but in general, the, the state leans very right. But Louisville had just literally just a couple of weeks ago, went back to a mask mandate in schools. So 
what does that tell you? It tells you that no matter how much you think you've protected yourself by moving to the right state that has the right ideology that, you know, that, that it was going to prevent mandates, um, you can still get damaged by a local superintendent or a local administrator or a local county official who doesn't, you know, is not willing to uh, uh, go, you know, wants to continue these mandates permanently, you know, believes everything that they've been told by the CDC or Fauci and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting involved at a local level, I think is really important and making your voice heard and running for uh, these offices if you can. I mean, we saw in Florida, there was uh, school board elections recently that a whole bunch of them flipped uh, because I think people realized, hey, this is really important. What goes into the schools is really important. Who's making these decisions is very, it, it, you know, we, this matters a lot. Um, it's not an easy thing to do. It's probably more of a long-term process than it is short-term. But other than that, I don't really know much much we can do. When you think about the federal level, you, level, you would say, well, voting, you know, voting in people that promise to never enact these kinds of restrictions. Um, but I have concerns about that having a big impact as well, because I think so just hypothetically, a new administration wins in 2024. That is no, we're not doing mandates. We're not doing lockdowns. We're not doing school closures, no masks, whatever. Um, appoints a new CDC director who agrees with that and says CDC guidance is changing. Masks don't work. All these local people that and school officials are going to say, well, that's just because they're politicized now. And it's it's a political thing that that's why they're doing this, because it's the the other side. Um, and that's going to it's not going to have legitimacy in a lot of people's eyes that are completely convinced that masking and lockdowns, and all this other stuff work. So you have to kind of replace them individually at a local level. Otherwise, you're just still going to have people that say, well, I believe the old CDC before it was politicized. Um, you know, you can already hear the New York Times headline or see it on the screen uh, yeah. back went back before the CDC was taken over. So that's my concern. I, you know, I don't know how effective it will be, but that's the best I can come up with right now. Hmm. Yeah, I think, I think especially in the places that you mentioned, people were able to kind of focus all of the, uh, all of the terrible things that they went through in the past two years. And it's not, oh, it's just, it's just the way it is. It was just awful. But that person on that board they are still making my kid do this. I'm getting him out of here. So yeah. kind of uh, being able to focus it like that and give a, a direction to kind of that, uh, those negative feelings that people have because of what the government made people do. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, it's a very important lesson that we've all learned. And unfortunately have had, have had to learn really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you know, we can hope that getting the message out, um, showing of the truth, uh, no matter what that happens to be, is going to have that positive effect in the long run. And in the long run, giving people the kind of freedom to make those decisions for themselves, I think is is key. Because then... Yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, like you say, if, uh, if it's uh, forced from the top down, then whatever the person in charge thinks is what goes, whether it's true or not. But if people can search and find the more, where I say, right, the more people who are able to look for an answer, the more likely it is that the correct answer is going to be found. Yeah, exactly. And I think that you can point to a lot of this, uh, you know, when you go back and look at, at what happened in late 2019, early 2020, that led us down this path to begin with, it's, it's, you can point to that exact mentality of, uh, you know, the the president kind of appointed the vice president to you're running to run the COVID task force. And he appointed people 
like Deborah Burks and Anthony Fauci, who have had no doubt that whatever they were saying was correct, none whatsoever. And and uh, Dr. Skiles, he wrote in his book about how he would bring data and charts and evidence to his to these briefings when he was appointed to the task force, and you know, thinking, well, that's what we do here, and they attacked him for doing that you know there wasn't any data or evidence that they brought in it was like well you're just contradicting what we say we should all be saying the same thing um and it's it's really disheartening to hear that because it, it i think again it goes back to the the point of like a lot of this was gotten into with panic and groupthink um and then they committed 100 percent to restrictions and mandates that destroyed freedom destroyed individual liberty and personal choice um by without a lot of evidence and we're never willing to think about the ramifications of it and, and try to back it up themselves. They never felt like they had to back it up. And instead of trying to show the people, here's why this is, this is working. They would just, you know, lie or cover it up or try to discredit those that spoke out against them. I mean, there's a lot of emails from Fauci saying, you know, we want to label uh, the great Barrington declaration people, for example, as fringe epidemiologists well, when you're saying that they're on the fringe, you're saying that they don't need to be taken seriously because they're not part of the mainstream consensus or they're they're extremists or whatever you want to label them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, instead of engaging in debate, it's it's a a one sided conversation where you have to do what you're told. Um, and, you know, I th- Fauci's also been out there saying things like, you know, there's a time for people to put freedom aside to do what's better for everybody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just, you know, that might be true to some extent, but it's not a. That was not a real, that's not a, a convincing message to say, here's why you should put your freedom aside. It was just, you need to listen to me and put your freedom aside, not this is the evidence base to suggest that you need to do this. Um, you know, I, I don't, again, I I would hope that we get a new administration, hope that we get a new CDC head, hope that we get a replacement for Fauci that's more willing to engage with evidence and is more open-minded, but um, it's hard to hard to kind of imagine that being taken seriously going forward because people are now are so conditioned to believing masks mandate mask mandates work and lockdowns work and school closures work things like that yeah they'll either reject it because it's the opposite like you said or the other part will get back into power and just reverse everything again and each side gets more and more entrenched uh, yeah well, let, let's end on a on a positive note is there anything Anything you want to plug as long as you're here? You mentioned you have a book. Yeah, yeah. So I wrote a book that came out earlier this year in January uh, called Unmasked. Uh, and there's a longer title, but it's on, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, things like that. Um, there's a Kindle version. Um, and it's basically just kind of putting together a lot of the charts, like the one you showed, something like over 100 of them in the book, um, and kind of collating a lot of the pre-pandemic research on masking and and what happened afterwards and what changed in the expectations and then how did it perform how did, how did the experts perform afterwards and the spoiler alert that didn't do particularly well but it is i think a, a, it was the goal was to try to put it all in one place it's it's hard to send somebody to a twitter feed and say hey go back and look through two and a half years of tweets or you know i also write a, a Substack page and um that you know there's a lot of articles and there's like 100 articles on there so you know there's a lot of stuff to, to comb through Whereas a book, you can just sit down in one place and have look at, you know, hold a physical copy and read it. Um, and, you know, I think it's, there's a couple of really important things in there. And one thing I would bring up was that, uh, and it kind of speaks to what we've been talking about, was at the end of March in 2020, Dr. Fauci sent an email saying from one of the employees at the National Institutes of Health, saying they had reviewed all the high quality evidence on masking and it all said that masks didn't work. 
And three days later, him and the CDC come out and say everybody should be wearing masks. So I think that goes to show you how much of this was was panic and groupthink and just kind of throwing something at the wall to see what sticks and not based off the data or evidence. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's kind of the idea behind the book was to put together this compilation of information and data and in kind of examinations of CDC studies and things like that. So yeah, people seem to like it so far, which I've been, I've been <laughs> thrilled to see. Good. Well, I'll put a link to that uh, in the description, a link to your Twitter feed, uh, probably a link to Tom Wood's uh, COVID quiz, which used a lot of your stuff. That one, that one's still fun to do. No, but Ian, thanks so much uh, for, for coming on the show and thank you for your effort for the past two and a half years. <laughs> oh, thanks, Jeff. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for watching this video. If you like what we do here, please like, share, subscribe, comment, and go over to our website where you can offer donations, request help, help us help people who are in need voluntarily. And we'll see you next time.